What's up, guys? Welcome to the 17th episode of the Good Guy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andres Valencio. Topics we'll take a look at during tonight's episode include why Toronto's double overtime victory in Game 3 over Milwaukee tells me that the series is already over, what the Pelicans should do with Anthony Davis now that they have won the Zion Williamson sweepstakes, and we shed light on the most underappreciated piece of the Warriors' current dynasty. We got all that and a whole lot more coming up. You're listening to the Good Guy Podcast. Welcome to episode 17 of the Good Guy Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Andres Valencio, coming to you on Tuesday, May 21st, 2019. Hope that y'all had a beautiful weekend and are off to a good start in your week. Want to start off by wishing all of you a happy National Waitstaff Day. So if you're out at a restaurant or a bar, any place that has a waitstaff, make sure to be extra polite today. And while you should always tip your servers, perhaps on their national holiday, give them a little something extra. That's not an easy job to do. Our celebrity birthday shout-out today goes to Mr. T, who turns 66 today, one of the original members of the show The A-Team, which I never saw, but thanks to shows like Family Guy, I am aware of. Mr. T is one of the kind of most outlandish characters on any TV show, taught us all to pity the fool, and so hopefully he's enjoying his double sixes birthday today. In sports, plenty going on this week, and a lot happened this past weekend as well. Bruce Kepka went wire to wire in winning the PGA Championship this weekend, meaning he's now won his fourth major in his last eight appearances. So that guy is on a really impressive streak, looking to see if he can keep it up in his next major. But to do four out of eight, I think only like four other guys have done that. So truly impressive. One of the guys who has done that in the past, Tiger Woods, missed the cut this weekend, got off to a really poor start and never really recovered. Kind of a dud after his Masters win, like I said, as great as Kepka's been, the sport is always more compelling when Tiger is in contention. So hopefully uh, at the next major, he is playing a little more like the guy who played at Augusta as opposed to the guy who played this past weekend. In the NHL, the Boston Bruins clinched a berth in the Stanley Cup Finals after sweeping the Carolina Hurricanes in the Eastern Conference Finals. And they await their opponent as St. Louis and San Jose battle for that other spot out there in the Western Conference Finals. St. Louis is up 3-2 after a blowout win the other night. And they are looking to close out tonight and clinch their first Stanley Cup appearance in what I believe is like 49 or 50 years. So a lot on the line in St. Louis. Still not watching the sport due to Tampa, but keeping up on it because I feel like that's my duty to my listeners. The Detroit Tigers in baseball are coming off an embarrassing week. They were had the f- floor wiped with them against Oakland and Houston. Currently sitting at 18 and 26 in fourth place in their division and after a surprising start to the season, it looks like things have kind of mellowed out not only for Detroit but really around the league as the cream has kind of risen to the top. Teams like the Yankees, the Astros, 
The Cubs, the Phillies, and the Dodgers are all in first place in their division. Really, the Minnesota Twins are the only surprise leader uh, leading the Tigers division right now. But there's still plenty of baseball ahead. It's a long season, so we'll see if things change. But right now, it looks like the teams we expected to be good are, in fact, doing so. And in the NFL, stories like Odell Beckham Jr. missing voluntary offseason workouts, Big Ben Roethlisberger taking his fellow offensive players to his lake house, and way too much coverage of Adam Gase and the New York Jets. Stories like that, they all just let me know that actual football season can't come fast enough, both college and pro. Really ready for August, but... Until then, thankfully, we do have the NBA playoffs, which are still going on for another couple of weeks. And a big part of the reason I'm thankful is, number one, basketball is my second favorite sport. And also, it frankly helps provide content for the show. And in what has been a very entertaining playoff year, things have really been compelling throughout. We had back-to-back overtime games in the last two nights. If you didn't see last night, Golden State took down the Portland Trail Blazers in overtime, sweeping the series despite spending more minutes in the series trailing than they led. But we'll touch on the Warriors later. Two nights ago, we had a double overtime game as Toronto took down Milwaukee. And heading into tonight's game, Toronto trails the series 2-1. Now in Game 3, Kawhi Leonard, the Raptors star, was excellent for Toronto. He scored 36 points playing in 52 minutes and played lockdown defense on Bucks MVP candidate Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, coming into tonight, it's 2-1. to one. Raptors have Game 4 in their building. And with a chance to tie things up at home, hey, this series is just getting started. At least... That's what some will want you to believe. But see, after the Raptors' Game 3 win the other night, I came away with a very different takeaway about the series. It's over. Bucks in 5. Book it. And this series, it's really a microcosm of where each of these franchises are and the directions that they're headed. Because Milwaukee, make no mistake, is going to end Toronto's season in the next few days. And their berth in the finals, after they beat Toronto, will cement their future as a championship contender for years to come, regardless of what happens in free agency. Whether Kawhi stays in the East, whether Kevin Durant and Kyrie team up in the East, Milwaukee's going to be right there. They have a top five player in the league and Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's an MVP, the guy that I think is going to win. And he's only 24 years old, which makes me sick. I'm 25. The fact that the best players in sports are now younger than me eats me up. But Giannis is still getting better. And now that the Bucks have finally found the coach and the system that best suit his game... He's just entering his prime. He's only going to improve. And with his improvement, the team will follow suit. On Toronto's end, once they lose to the Bucks, 
it will signify the end of an era where they were good. Always good. But never good enough. Now I will say, it looked as though the end of that era would come after last season. Toronto cruised through the regular season, locked up the number one seed in the East, and seemed to believe they would finally be able to really challenge LeBron and the Cavs. But then they met the Cavs in the second round, and as the number one seed, they got swept. They fired their coach. A lot of us thought that would be it right there. They'd start the rebuild. But then they decided to throw one more Hail Mary. LeBron leaves the East. Let's give it one more crack. Let's chase this title one more time. So they traded for Kawhi Leonard. With absolutely no reason to believe that he would stay long term. A one year rental of a top five player. And I'll say this for Toronto. I admire them for going for it. Shooting for the title. Taking their shot. Hoping they could convince Kawhi to stay. I mean, a lot of teams are scared to make those moves. I give Toronto credit. They saw their window closing. They gave it one last shot. But they're losing. And he's leaving. You might think, oh, well, getting to the conference finals, that will inspire him to want to stay. He'll think they're really close. No, they're only close because of him. All these playoffs have shown him is how hard and exhausting it is to carry a team throughout the playoffs. He didn't have to do that in San Antonio. It's wearing him down. You can see it, and he's going to want help. And as unfortunate unfortunate as it is, because Toronto, by all accounts, is a great city. Canada is a great country. Free agents aren't coming there. He'll never get that second star to choose Toronto and to choose him. So he'll leave. Most likely for L.A. And Toronto despite being one round away from the NBA Finals, they'll have to start rebuilding. And unlike in Milwaukee, who will play in several series of this magnitude for years to come, provided that Giannis stays healthy, it's going to be a long time before Toronto finds themselves back here. So, hey, Game 3 was great. A classic, really. A double overtime shootout. Two all-world players, the only real stars on their team going at it. A spot in the finals, potentially on the line. And much like Game 7 between Toronto and Philadelphia, when Kawhi hit that incredible buzzer beater... It was, it was everything you'd want in a playoff game. But unfortunately, those two memories, Kawhi's buzzer beater in Game 7 and the Game 3 double overtime victory, those are going to be the last great memories 
for Toronto basketball fans for a long time. Reminders of an era when they were good, just never quite good enough. Game three was a lot of things. Memorable, close, a matchup of two stars. But it wasn't a sign that the Raptors can win this series. It was, No, it was a clear sign that Toronto's championship windows is closed. And Milwaukee's is wide open. Bucks big in game four tonight. And they'll close it out in five. While some would almost certainly disagree with my notion that the Eastern Conference Finals are already over, the Western Conference Finals have already been decided. Last night, Golden State finished off Portland in an overtime victory, concluding their sweep of the Trailblazers. Now, you heard me mention earlier, Golden State spent more minutes trailing in the series than they led, and they had to overcome 17-point deficits in games 2, 3, and 4. And yet, even trailing by double digits, digits at half of each of those games, it never felt like they wouldn't come back. Now, two-time Finals MVP Kevin Durant didn't play in the series. And yet, even without him, the Warriors looked like a well-oiled machine. Really, it was reminiscent of the 73-9 and team from 2016, or the championship team from 2015. And lately, there has been a lot of talk, a lot of debate about whether or not Golden State is actually better without Kevin Durant. Now, let me say, I think the notion that they're better without him is ridiculous. I don't think that you take the best player in the league off of a team and that somehow makes them better. It makes them different, but not better. That being said, Golden State has been highly impressive during Durant's absence. And a lot of people have gotten credit for the recent stretch of great play. I mean, usually when Durant, especially before he got hurt, he was playing so well that he was getting kind of the bulk of the credit. And you think about the last two championship runs, the first guy you kind of think of is Kevin Durant. But since he's been out, you've seen other guys kind of get their due. Steph Curry, who I mentioned felt underappreciated last week, was unbelievable against Portland. Averaged 36.5 points. And so all the idiots who want to talk about him coming up small in the playoffs. I sincerely hope they do their research, number one, and that they were watching this series because he was the best player on the floor and it wasn't even close. Draymond Green played like a man possessed in the Portland series. I mean, that's as good as you'll see him play. He averaged nearly a triple-double throughout the series. 
He was basically running the offense, playing great defense. He had a great quote a few weeks ago that he said, some guys are 82-game players and some guys are 16-game players, meaning postseason players. He said, I'm a 16-game player. And to his credit, he has really backed it up. Clay Thompson has seen his offensive opportunities increase since Durant went out. He's been lights out on both ends of the floor. And Golden State, whose motto has always been strength in numbers, even as their depth depleted with their top-heavy roster of stars, the bench play since Durant went down has been huge. Guys like Jonas Jerebko, Jordan Bell, Quinn Cook, Kevon Looney is no longer a bench player, but he was excellent in the Portland series. So there's been a lot of people getting credit, and let me say, they all deserve it. I mean, if you watch this team play basketball, they play beautiful basketball, and everyone plays a part. But there is someone who hasn't been getting mentioned, and when I sat and thought about it, he never really seems to. But this is someone who has been incredibly important in contributing to the dynasty that the Warriors have built. Of course, who I'm talking about is the head coach. What is it going to take for Steve Kerr to get some love? The coach who... In his first four full seasons, has been to the NBA Finals four times and won three championships. Oh, and after last night, is on to his fifth straight finals. By the way, five straight finals as a coach, something Pat Riley never did. Neither did Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich. After Milwaukee beats Toronto, he'll have a chance to win his fourth title in five years. Something none of those guys I mentioned ever did. But Andres, he stole Mark Jackson's team. Oh, really? You mean the same Mark Jackson who won one playoff series in three years? Now, don't get me wrong. I think Mark Jackson, he's a solid coach. Good analyst, a little bit corny for me. But I think he's a solid coach. And I am genuinely surprised he hasn't been named the head coach somewhere else since being let go. But come on. Let's not pretend this was Barry Switzer taking over Jimmy Johnson's Cowboys in the the 90s, who had already won two Super Bowls. And by the way, why is Steve Kerr the only coach that we do this to? This year, the Milwaukee Bucks had the best record in the NBA and are on the doorstep of the NBA Finals behind new coach Mike Budenholzer. And you know what I haven't heard about the Bucks this season? Or about Budenholzer? Oh, well, you know... He's just he's just building on what Jason Kidd already had going there. Because 
kid had the team as a seventh seed getting knocked out in the first round. Mark Jackson's last year in Golden State, they were a, they were a sixth seed and got knocked out of the first round. And yet we do it to Kerr and we don't do it to Budenholzer and I don't get it. Well, Andres, anybody could coach that team and win. They have so much talent. Okay, yeah, see, there's this, there's a misconception that coaching really talented teams is easy. It's not. Ask Brad Stevens. We labeled him the Sean McVay of the NBA because he coached the little engine that could Celtics, the Isaiah Thomases, and the Terry Roziers and the Jalen Browns to the conference finals, and that's great. And then we gave, and then he got stars. He got Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and he couldn't make it work. Too many egos, not enough ball sharing. That they couldn't, they weren't, they weren't cohesive. Ask Tyron Lue about the stress of coaching teams with expectations. He had to take a couple weeks off in his last year coaching LeBron for health reasons. Ask Coach K. He had the most talented team in college basketball this year by a mile. His three best players will be top 10 picks. He didn't even make the final four. Coaching talented players is about more than rolling the ball out and saying, okay, go play. Especially in the NBA, especially on a team that has already won. It's a challenge to keep guys motivated, to manage egos. And frankly, the greatest coaches in history have only won with great players. Who are the top three or four coaches of the modern era? Phil Jackson? I don't recall him winning a championship without Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Shaq or Kobe. Greg Popovich hasn't won anything before Tim Duncan or after Tim Duncan. Pat Riley, coach guys like Magic Johnson, Dwayne Wade. Great coaches only win when they have great players. Don't tell me Steve Kerr's not a great coach because he coaches great players. That's how it works. And frankly, don't tell me he's always had the most talent. Golden State, like I said, was a sixth seed the year before he showed up. Out in the first round. With essentially the exact same team the very next year. They had the league's best record. They won the title. He didn't take over some super team of free agents and established stars. He took over three guys who had been drafted outside the top five, including one in Draymond, who was a second-round pick. His biggest error during his stint as the Warriors head coach was winning 73 games and going for it because it wore out his guys. And so they lost in the NBA Finals in a Game 7 by four points. Now I will say, since they got Durant, are they now the most talented? Of course. 
And he's maxed out what that luxury should be. Winning back-to-back titles. Getting to a third finals. But this series... I'm sorry, these playoffs, he's had to play seven starting lineups. He's had injuries. He's dealt with adversity. They haven't missed a beat. He's won before KD. He's won with KD. And now he's winning again without him. When you think about the Warriors, when you hear about Golden State basketball, you always hear about the system, the ball movement, playing the right way, everybody touching the ball, everybody getting theirs. That's the culture and the system that Steve Kerr implemented. Yeah, well, you know, Luke Walton and Mike Brown have both had success coaching the team when he was absent. Yes. Yes, they did. And that is a testament to the culture he set. If you're a teacher and you miss three or four days because you're sick or whatever and the substitute comes in and has a great week with your students and they behave and they do what they're supposed to do, that's a testament to the expectations and the culture that the teacher is setting in their classroom. Let's not forget, different sport, Drew Bledsoe won an AFC championship game filling in for Tom Brady. When he missed a whole season, Matt Castle stepped in and went 11-5. and When he was suspended in 2016, Jimmy G and Kobe Brissett went 3-1 and in his absence. The Patriots, yes, they won and succeeded even when Tom Brady couldn't be there doesn't mean he's not great or the best at what he does. It speaks to the culture, and he's a huge part of that. Steve Kerr, to me, is already one of the five greatest coaches in league history. And you can dispute that now, but I promise you, if he wins his fourth title, fourth in five years, in just a couple of weeks... It's going to get a lot harder to dispute that notion. So yes, the Warriors have been highly impressive without Durant. And yes, there are a ton of people who deserve credit for the recent stretch of play. And I'll say as a fan, it's been a ton of fun to watch this version of Golden State. It reminds me of the old Golden State. The team who shocked us all and won a title in 2015, way before KD got there. 2015, of course, being the same year that Steve Kerr took over as head coach and changed the dynamic of the league. Let's make sure we give him his credit when the dynasty adds their fourth ring in five years in just a couple weeks. While Golden State, Milwaukee, and Toronto still have something left to play for, the other 27 teams in the league have likely already shifted their focus to next season. 
One of those teams, of course, is the New Orleans Pelicans. Last week, the Pelicans, who going into the NBA draft lottery, had only a 6% chance of landing the number one pick, ended up winning what many were calling the Zion Williamson sweepstakes. Securing the first pick, and of course the right to draft the Duke Phenom. Now this had to be a welcome surprise that followed what was really a disappointing season for New Orleans. Let's not forget, this was a team that made the playoffs in 2018 and won a series. They swept the Portland Trailblazers, the same Blazers that just had a spot in the Western Conference Finals. But this season, the Pelicans, they had a rough go of it. They limped to a 33-win season, didn't even sniff the playoffs, and saw their franchise player, Anthony Davis, request a trade midseason. Now, given that Davis will be a free agent after this season, it's expected that New Orleans will trade their superstar player, for the best offer instead of losing him at the end of the year as a free agent for nothing. One of the trades that had been brought up prior to the lottery included speculation that Zion Williamson could potentially be traded for Anthony Davis, especially if a team like the New York Knicks or the Los Angeles Lakers landed the number one pick. So while the idea of Zion ending up in New Orleans at some point wasn't unheard of, most of us assumed that it would only occur if he was traded there in exchange for AD. But now, given New Orleans' surprising win in the lottery, it appears that they'll be able to land the prodigy without having to give up their superstar to get him. And so now, given this unexpected hand to play, many are asking, what should the Pelicans do with AD? Now, I've heard three things that I think are plausible. Keep him, trade him to the Lakers, or trade him to the Knicks. Let me touch on the first Option. Should they consider trying to keep him? Try to sell him on the idea of playing with Zion and let him play out the season? Absolutely not. My advice? Don't overthink this, New Orleans. Anthony Davis is not staying in New Orleans, he's not staying for Zion. He's not staying for new GM David Griffin. He's not staying for Drew Brees or Sean Payton or anybody. He wants to be in a big market. He wants to be traded. And you cannot risk losing him at the end of the year for nothing. You trade him. And now the question is, to where? To me, it's obvious. 
You trade him to the Knicks. You trade him for the third overall pick, which the Knicks secured in the lottery. Future first-round picks, the Knicks own, as well as the ones they acquired from Dallas. And whatever young pieces and players that they already have that you like, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., whoever, you trade him for those assets. And with the third pick, you draft R.J. Barrett, Zion's teammate at Duke, who averaged 22 points a game as a freshman despite playing with two other top five recruits. He can score, and he'll be able to, able to score right away in the NBA. Let's not forget, Barrett, technically speaking, was the number one recruit in Duke's class. Now, Zion proved to be a better player, but it's not like Barrett was a scrub. You draft those two guys who were roommates and best friends at Duke, and you sell your fan base on the idea of keeping these two 19-year-old phenoms from Duke together and building around them. That would be a young, fun, exciting team that people would want to see, could feel hopeful about, and suddenly your organization doesn't feel like a dumpster fire the way it felt this entire season. Getting these two guys, Zion and Barrett, in the same class, guys who were teammates and stars in college, it doesn't happen. It would have been like getting Greg Oden and Mike Conley in 2007 out of Ohio State or John Wall and Boogie Cousins out of Kentucky in 2010. You don't see it. And it's something people will be excited about. Now you may be asking, what about the Lakers? They secured the fourth pick in the draft. If I'm New Orleans, I don't want the Lakers' pieces. I don't want the fourth pick in what many people consider to be a three-person draft. There are three kind of considered surefire stars in this draft. Zion, Barrett, and Murray State point guard, Ja Morant. After that, it is been described by many scouts as a crapshoot. So what the Lakers can offer is the first crack at that crapshoot and a bunch of talented, young, but injury-prone, baggage-carrying guys that LeBron doesn't want. Oh, and by the way, if you trade AD to the Lakers and Zion and Barrett end up being stars, there's a chance you'll have to play them in the playoffs in a couple of years. Doesn't seem like an appealing offer to me. I like Brandon Ingram. The blood clot thing scares me. Lonzo Ball and his dad are more baggage than they're worth. And Kyle Kuzma's a nice player. But I think he's what? Maybe the fourth or fifth best starter on a good team? Meh. Now some have brought up the idea, like I said, of trying to keep him with AD. I think that's a stupid idea. You, He's not going to stay. You'll lose him for nothing. And you'll just end up having AD's situation all over again with Zion. You've got to trade Davis. You use the Lakers as bait. You use the Lakers as a bargaining tool to force the Knicks to give you more of what you want. 
Acquire the assets that you feel are worthy and build around the two Duke stars. Anthony Davis, much like Zion coming into the league, was considered a prodigy. He won National Player of the Year. So did Zion. He was the surefire number one pick. So is Zion. New Orleans got him. And him requesting a trade represents a failed era of basketball in that city. But now they're getting something rare. A second chance to get it right. But not just a second chance. A second chance immediately. Now whether or not they take advantage of it. If they've learned from their mistakes. That remains to be seen. But thanks to Zion. Next season and moving forward. There will be a lot of eyeballs on that team. Looking to find out. If they're going to screw this one up too. There's been a lot of basketball during the episode tonight. And uh, look, certainly I don't mind. I love the sport. It is easily far and away my second favorite sport. Always has been. But obviously football holds my heart and... I got to say, I I do miss it. Like, I miss it a lot. And in the offseason, I find myself reading a lot of these stories that are really non-stories and these headlines of things that aren't really relevant just to kind of get my football fix. And as I mentioned kind of at the beginning of the show, most of them are kind of really irrelevant non-stories, stuff to just kind of keep the NFL in your mind. But I enjoy them, and there there are things like, the, you know, the Jets firing their GM, which I guess is important, but then again, it's the Jets, so who's really surprised? Odell Beckham not showing up to OTAs, and Big Ben taking his offensive players on a trip to his lake house, and Antonio Brown calling him two-faced, and... Ezekiel Elliott bumping into a security guard. And it's just a bunch of stuff that, like I said, really isn't stuff that I think would make headlines during the season. But it's that slow period of the year, and I'll be the first to admit, I read it like it's like it's the gossip column or something. I, it, it keeps me feeling like football is still a part of things right now. But I do appreciate the ones that are more informative, ones that are predictive about what's coming up in the season. We will have our official NFL season predictions coming in August. We'll go division by division. I've yet to look at the layout of the schedules, but I did one last year, and I will say I managed to correctly predict nine of the 12 teams who made the playoffs, hoping to at least repeat that number this year, although given my predictions in the NCAA tournaments, feeling a little shaky, although my NBA playoff predictions have gone pretty smoothly. But I was reading one of those stories that's really a non-story the other day, and it was a debate about who is favored in the NFC East. And as a Cowboys fan, of course, I would like to see them repeat as division champs. But I saw a stat in the article about the NFC East, and it mentioned that 
There hasn't been a repeat winner of that division since the Eagles did it four straight times from 2001 to 2004. And it kind of got me thinking about the teams who won their divisions last year. Obviously, in the NFL, there are eight divisions. Each division winner secures a home, or a playoff game at home and a playoff berth. And so while I'm not ready yet to predict my division winners or the division standings, I do feel pretty strongly and do have informed opinions about each of the teams right now with the NFL draft being completed and free agency being mostly wrapped up. And so I thought it'd be good to go ahead and rank the teams who won their division last year from most likely to repeat to least likely. Now, these are not to say that these are the teams who I think will win again. But in the NFL, there are usually there's usually a large turnover of new playoff teams. Last year, of the 12 teams that made the playoffs, seven of them had not made it the year before. So there's always a lot of turnover, and part of predicting how things will go throughout the year is taking that into account. And so I'm going to cut that part out of my predictions early by covering it now. And like I said, ranking the teams from most to least likely of who I think will repeat in their division. We'll start with the most likely team to repeat, and they are certainly a familiar face in the playoffs The team most likely to win their division, I'm going to say this year, is the New England Patriots, I believe, will repeat again. They come in at number one. Look, these guys, they're in it every year. And I know that Brady's a year older and there's no more Gronk and maybe that stuff should matter. But until somebody knocks them off, I I just don't believe it. I think they've won every division title in the past 10 years, and the only one they haven't won in the last, like, 15 was when Tom Brady tore his ACL in the first game. This place, that organization is a machine. They reload every year. And a big part of it is the dumpster fire that that division is. I mean, you look at the Jets, who just fired their GM. The Dolphins are expected to be one of the worst teams in the league. And the Bills are making improvements. That's a good coaching staff, and, and Josh Allen is, a, is an intriguing talent, but they don't strike me as a roster that's ready to overtake New England yet. That's three young quarterbacks, three second-year quarterbacks in that division trying to take down Tom Brady. I don't see it. Patriots come in at number one. Number two, I'm going to go with the L.A. Rams repeating in the NFC West as the second most likely. I do think the Rams will take a small step back this year. Don't know what to make of the Todd Gurley situation with his really peculiar injury deal that he was dealing with in the playoffs last year. But Sean McVay has proven to be an outstanding coach. I think Jared Goff will continue to improve. And look, they still have guys like Aaron Donald on that D-line. I think they still have the most talent in that division. And we look at the rest of the teams. I expect Seattle to take a step back from their playoff berth last year. San Francisco will be better, but I'm not sure they're ready to take down L.A. just yet. And the Cardinals with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, they'll be a fun watch, but I don't think they'll come anywhere close to competing for a playoff spot this year. Rams come in at number two. Team third most likely to repeat, how about the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West? This team has had a lot of turmoil, obviously in the offseason with the Tyreek Hill situation. We touched on that a few weeks ago. 
Obviously, no more Kareem Hunt in the building. Guys like D. Ford and Justin Houston have been shipped out of town, but this team still has the best young quarterback in the league and reigning MVP Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid, still one of the best coaches in the NFL. I think that they'll find a way to replace the pieces that they've lost. They still have guys like Travis Kelsey. And I do think the defense, even in spite of losing those pass rushers, will be improved this year in their new 4-3 scheme. I don't think they can be much worse defensively. When you look at the rest of that division, the Los Angeles Chargers, I think, are a legitimate threat to dethrone Kansas City. They split with them last year on the regular season. But Phillip Rivers is getting up there. I wonder about the Chargers always seem to have some serious injury issues. They have trouble staying healthy. I think they're the only real challenger, but I would still give the edge to KC coming into the season. And then you look at the rest of that division. I'm not a big believer in Joe Flacco and Denver. I think that they'll be around a five or six win team. And then you look at Oakland. I think they'll be better. I think they added some really talented pieces, but John Gruden, Derek Carr, I just think they're kind of a decent, that's a decent team. That's a decent roster. I could see seven or eight wins. I don't see them competing for the playoffs this year either. Give me Kansas City at number three. Number four, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys repeating in the NFC East. Now, I know some may call me a homer, but I genuinely believe that Dallas actually has a chance to be an improved football team this year. Assuming Ezekiel Elliott has no fallout from his little pushing incident in Vegas, you bring back Amari Cooper, a wide receiver with a full offseason to learn under Dak Prescott. I think Randall Cobb is an upgrade over Cole Beasley. Jason Witten, for as terrible as he was in the booth and as old as he is, I think he'll actually be an upgrade over what they had going at tight end last season. And on the offensive line, people are forgetting Dallas all of last season was, was without all-pro center Travis Frederick. He had a disease that kept him out for the whole season. He's expected to be back and healthy. That defense with all those young pieces like Leighton Vander Esch, Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence has been re-signed. I really think the Cowboys have as much talent as anybody in that division and a great shot to repeat. Now, I will say I have them at four because I think Philadelphia is going to be right there with them. The Eagles are obviously also an incredibly talented team. Carson Wentz is reportedly fully healthy in OTAs after suffering that ACL tear at the end of the 2017 season. They bring in guys like Jordan Howard. Obviously, their offensive line and defensive line, their front seven in the trenches is is one of the best in the league. And I think that their coaching staff is probably the best in that division. So I think that it'll be a back-and-forth battle for those two for the division supremacy. I put Dallas at fourth because the rest of that division is is really, I think, going to be kind of also-rans. The Giants are a complete mess. They're going to roll out Eli Manning again this season, at least for half the year before they put in overdrafted six-pick Daniel Jones. I think they're going to be a mess. Washington brought in Case Keenum. Not a big believer in him. I think he'll play a few games before Dwayne Haskins takes over. And while I like Haskins, I think you'll see him go through his typical rookie struggles. So I do think that's a two-team division. And I give Dallas the fourth best shot of repeating. Number five, the New Orleans Saints. Coming off yet another heartbreaking playoff loss. That's back-to-back years now that they've had to go through the offseason dealing with that. Drew Brees isn't getting any younger, but he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Sean Payton's still one of the offensive geniuses. 
Alvin Kamara takes over as the feature back after Mark Ingram's departure to Baltimore. I like the Saints staff. I still believe in Breeze. But you could see a physical decline in his skills last year. And I really do think that two emotional playoff losses when you felt like you were so close in back-to-back years, that can take a toll on a team. Factor that in with what I think will be an improved division. I don't think Atlanta is going to struggle this year the way that they did last year, especially with all the injuries that they had. Carolina will be in the mix, provided that Cam Newton can stay healthy. And I'm no believer in Jameis Winston, but I do like Bruce Arians as a coach, and I do think that Tampa will be an improved squad this year. Just announced today that they had signed Ndamukong Sue to be in the middle of that D-line after releasing Gerald McCoy. So Saints, uh, I would still call them the slight favorite going in, but not going to be easy. Give them the fifth best shot to repeat. Number six, I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. I struggle with Houston. I think I like Deshaun Watson. I think he's a playmaker. I think he's a gutty player. Didn't love him signaling first downs after, you know, 10-yard runs when they were down by 20 points in the playoffs last year, but that's a little thing. DeAndre Hopkins, obviously one of the best receivers in the league. J.J. Watch, Davion Clowney, they have talent on that defense. My concern with Houston continues to be the offensive line. I know that they tried to shore it up in the draft, but it felt like they did so by overreaching for players who maybe didn't deserve to go as high as they were picked. And what really does it with me for Houston is that I think that the Colts are really going to overtake them in the division this year. The Colts are one of the surprise teams in the league, beat Houston in Houston in the playoffs last year. And I think with Andrew Luck having another year healthy and another year in Frank Reich's system, he'll take that step forward. Tennessee is no slouch. They had a play-in game to make the playoffs last year, so they're above 500 over the last, I believe, two or three years. And while I don't think Jacksonville will be a playoff contender, I do think they'll be improved with Nick Foles under center. We'll see if he can kind of get them returned to that 2017 form, playing mistake-free football, which obviously Blake Bortles was incapable of doing. Number seven, I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears, having the seventh-best chance to repeat I think last year the Bears were certainly one of the surprise teams going from worst to first in their division. I like Mac Nagy a lot as a coach. I think Mitchell Trubisky has some skills. But I think last year they really kind of took that division and really the league by storm, kind of by surprise. I think that some of that smoke and mirrors offense that they ran, teams will have more time to kind of figure it out. And for me the biggest thing is, It's not so much about what the Bears aren't. I just think that Aaron Rodgers is really going to come out with a new focus, a new intensity this season after being hurt two years ago and then just really struggling last year. He's heard all the criticism. Everybody's blaming him for Mike McCarthy getting fired. People are saying maybe he's no longer one of the the top two or three quarterbacks in the league. I think he's going to come out highly motivated. The Packers have done a great job in the offseason of revamping that defense giving Rodgers a young offensive-minded head coach. I think he's going to have an unbelievable season. And I also think Minnesota's worth keeping an eye on. Kirk Cousins obviously wasn't the difference maker they thought he'd be last year. But he did throw for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. And I think uh, coming off an NFC Championship game berth in 2017, I do think you'll see the Vikings compete for a playoff spot in 2019. So the Bears come in at number seven. And number eight, the team I think is least likely to repeat is division champs, the Baltimore Ravens. Now, 
Baltimore had a great second half of the season last year behind rookie sensation Lamar Jackson at quarterback. They became kind of the number one rushing attack in the league. It had a very Tebow-esque feel to when he took over in Denver that season and they made the playoffs. Lamar is obviously a better passer and, and a better athlete. But I think this is really more about what I expect out of the AFC North because I think that Baltimore actually will struggle to even finish in second. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be incredibly motivated after a disappointing end to the season last year after all the offseason noise about Antonio Brown, about Le'Veon Bell. I think you'll see Ben Roethlisberger have a bounce-back year. Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner are ready to step in. And Mike Tomlin is a great coach, and I think that... He's going to be out to prove that uh, he can kind of get this organization back on the right track. You factor them in along with Cleveland, who I think may be the most talented team in that division. Baker Mayfield's going to be even better in his second year. Their running back trio with Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson, and Kareem Hunt, who returns from suspension after week eight. That's probably the most talented trio in the league. And you just look at the weapons. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, David Njoku. The D-line with guys like Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon. I mean, this is a team that is stacked as far as talent is concerned. Big question mark being Freddie Kitchens, a first-time head coach. But I do think that both those teams will kind of fight for first place, and Baltimore will take a slight step back from, like I said, what was a nice second half of the season last year. So that's kind of how kind of I see it shaking out. Patriots, Rams, Chiefs, Cowboys, Saints, Texans, Bears, and then Ravens in that order of who I think are most likely to repeat as division champs. I reserve the right to change these predictions when we make our official NFL predictions in August. But it felt good to get some football on the show. Let us know if you agree or disagree. I'm sure there are some... Cowboy haters or some Patriot haters or some Bears lovers who see things differently. So let us know. Always appreciate the feedback. And football, please, we miss you. Do us all a favor and get back soon. So as we get ready to close out the show, I do feel like there's something I should give you all a heads up on. Um, I'm not really one of those guys who's up and follows all the cool hip tv shows and movies of the current time i know that game of thrones ended the other night and that was like a big deal um a lot of people were unhappy about the ending now i wasn't one of them because i don't watch game of thrones i've seen one episode apparently a lot of really important people died and uh that was kind of it for me. I I don't watch This Is Us. I uh, haven't seen Breaking Bad. I'm just kind of behind on all the, the hip stuff, all the stuff that everybody says you have to watch, you have to see. I'm always the guy who's like, yeah, I've never seen it. I haven't seen the new Avengers yet. But I will say, I'm taking steps to improve. I'm going to see the new Avengers this week. I'm taking my little brother. He's already seen it. Uh, told me it's a great movie. I have very high expectations. In fact, I've been told pretty much by everyone, it's a great movie. My girlfriend, her and her brothers are big Marvel fans. She's seen it. She told me that one of her friends called it the defining cultural movie of our lifetime. 
Now, I will say that seems a little strong given that it's an escapism movie about superheroes, but the, the point stands. I'll, you know, I could see where somebody maybe could feel that way. So I'm going to check it out. And given that I have such high expectations, I'm thinking it's really going to be one of those movies that I never forget. One of the great movies that I've ever seen. And that kind of got me thinking, what are the 10 greatest sports movies that I've ever seen? Now notice that I've said that I've seen. Not that not that I've ever been made, not of all time, but just what are my 10 favorite, you know, sports films? And so I thought, ahead of my late arrival to the Avengers party, Although I did see Captain Marvel recently, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. I thought I'd go ahead and share the list that I compiled with you all. Now, I'm sure some of you will disagree, but I've done a lot of these top 10 lists. That's what makes them fun. I like the disagreement. I like when people reach out and feel like I left things off or rank things too high or whatever. So I'm sure that this one will be no different. And hopefully, if you are offended that one isn't on the list... Uh, let me know. Maybe it's one I haven't seen and perhaps you're um, uh, being offended that I, I didn't have it on the list will cause me to go out, seek it out, and, and, and see it for myself. So only good can come of this. Uh, before we get started, I do want to mention some honorable mentions that didn't quite make it but that I did enjoy. Uh, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, funny movie. I'm not a NASCAR guy but Will Ferrell is great in that. As he is in Semi-Pro, which also didn't quite make the list, but does center around a team called the Flint Tropics. So those of us in Michigan can appreciate that. The Waterboy, one that I thoroughly enjoy, uh, starring Adam Sandler, a college football movie. Uh, I'm sure the Flint team would appreciate it having the Waterboy around in today's times. and That's kind of a low joke. I'm sorry about that. Space Jam, the original Space Jam with the actual GOAT. Michael Jordan. Really enjoyed it as a kid. Um, haven't seen it in a while, but but certainly one of those that, that was memorable and that I, I definitely always look forward to seeing Jordan dunk on the Monstars. Dodgeball uh, with Vince Vaughn, Ben Stiller. Very funny movie. And of course, The Sandlot. Every kid who grew up in the 90s, it seems like, saw that movie, grew up with that movie. Excellent film. So none of those quite made it, but definitely felt like they deserved a shout out. Before we get started... And we're going to do so with number 10, Blue Chips, starring Nick Nolte, Shaquille O'Neal, and Penny Hardaway, among others. The movie actually had like live basketball being played on set, so that was the action of the game was really believable and compelling. Uh, It's a story about a college coach who is at a struggling perennial power program ends up paying for players, kind of an NCAA scandal kind of movie. Excellent film. If you haven't seen it, it's a mid-90s movie. This kind of inspired Shaq filming this movie with Penny Hardaway. It kind of inspired him to request that the Magic select Penny number one overall. So that story kind of makes it cool. Blue Chips coming in at number 10. Number 9, The Replacements, starring Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman. It's a story of a pro football league where the players go on strike, and so the league replaces them with a bunch of scab players. 
Keanu Reeves plays uh, former Ohio State quarterback Shane Falco and tries to leave a, a group of kind of misfits uh, to the playoffs towards the end of the season. Decent football in the movie, good enough casting, funny in parts, a, a good football movie. One of those ones that I would probably never seek out, but every time it's on TV, I always find myself watching it. Number eight, Miracle, starring Kurt Russell. Obviously, the story of the USA Olympic hockey team, uh, which at the time had the roster of collegiate players taking down the professionals of the Soviet team in one of the greatest upsets in sport his- sports history. I'm myself, I'm not a big hockey guy, but I will say, really good movie, something that just as an American, um, you know, you can really appreciate the underdog aspect of it and, and something that uh, I think is, is kind of a point of pride for all American sports fans. Number seven, Happy Gilmore, starring Adam Sandler and Christopher McDonald. It's a movie about golf. Uh, I myself am not a good golfer. I did play a little bit in high school, um, but this is one of those movies that probably isn't as good as its place on the list, but I watched it a ton growing up at my grandmother's house. Thought it was hilarious. Uh, Adam Sandler plays a struggling hockey player who is capable of driving the ball a really long way. Finds himself on the pro tour on, under the tutelage of a former player. And uh, it's just a really funny movie. Uh, Christopher McDonald plays the villain Shooter McGavin. And his performance is one of the better ones that you'll see in a sports movie, especially out of a villain. So if you haven't seen it, definitely worth checking out, even if you're not a big golf fan. Number six, Million Dollar Baby, starring Clint Eastwood and Hilary Swank. Uh, It's the story of kind of a middle-aged female boxer who goes under the tutelage of her trainer, being Clint Eastwood, um, rises up to the top really fast and ends up with a chance at a big-time prize title fight. Um, This is a sad movie, but it's a really great story, really inspiring. Um, You know, boxing is really kind of the last, I wouldn't say last gladiator sport because now we have UFC, but there's an art form to it. And... The movie itself is just really compelling, really strong performances from both Eastwood and Swank, so definitely worth checking out if you haven't had the chance to do so. Number five, Moneyball, starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. Uh, This movie was really popular when it came out. A story of the Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean, implementing really kind of the birth of analytics in baseball. Um, You know, the Oakland A's, obviously, with... The major leagues having no salary cap. They're at a disadvantage, not having the kind of room that the Yankees or the Red Sox would have. So this is really just the movie about the birth of that kind of movement in baseball. Uh, Jonah Hill is actually really good in this movie. Again, I'm not a huge baseball guy. I do like postseason baseball, but really good performance out of Pitt and Hill. Um, if you haven't seen it, I would. Number four, Coach Carter, starring Samuel L. Jackson and, to an extent, Channing Tatum. Uh, Samuel Jackson plays a high school back- basketball coach who takes over at an inner city school, uh, inspires the kids to get serious, not only about playing basketball the right way, but also about their academics, um, follows the team kind of from the beginning of the season throughout their journey to the state tournament, gave us incredibly inspiring characters like Timo Cruz, uh, and just one of those movies where the basketball is actually pretty decent um so so it's something definitely worth checking out 
Number three, Any Given Sunday, starring Al Pacino, Dennis Quaid, and Jamie Foxx. It's the story of a uh, pro football team, the Miami Sharks. Uh, Al Pacino plays a coach that is kind of on the wrong side of ownership's, uh, you know, kind of on their other bad side. Dennis Quaid plays a former All-Pro struggling through injury, and Jamie Foxx plays the young hotshot quarterback looking to take his place. It really gives kind of, I would say, about as realistic, especially for the time that it came out, view of what the ins and outs of pro football are really like. Jamie Foxx delivers a really uh, good performance as Willie Beeman and Al Pacino. If you haven't seen his halftime speech from this movie, it's outstanding. Cameron Diaz also in it. A, w- a really well-casted movie um, and, and definitely worthy of the number three spot, in my opinion. Number two, Remember the Titans, starring Denzel Washington. One of the great movies from my childhood. Uh, Washington plays uh, a head coach of a high school team at a school that becomes integrated. Um, and he teaches his players who have never really been around others of a different race to kind of come together as brothers, uh, inspires the team to go on a state championship run. Tons of historical relevance in this movie. The football, I will say, is not great as somebody who's kind of a football uh, kind of football junkie. Not really believable as far as what goes on in the game, but the storyline is really great. The performances are good and uh, one of the all-time great sports movies I think most everybody would agree who's seen it. And my number one movie, sports movie of all time, Friday Night Lights starring Billy Bob Thornton, Lucas Black, Connie Britton. This probably wouldn't be number one on too many other people's lists, but I absolutely love this movie. Billy Bob Thornton plays the head coach of a high school team in a small town in Texas where football is everything. Um, The expectations are crazy and just really, especially when this came out, I was a young kid who, who wanted to be a big star in high school. Obviously, that did not happen, but the football in this movie is outstanding. The characters, Booby Miles, Don Billingsley, Mike Winchell. Uh, it's based on a true story, based on actually a really great book. Um, and so, to me, what may, separates this movie from other sports movies is the realistic action within the games. The football is actually believable. Uh, and just something that I, I really enjoy. Every time this movie's on, I watch it. It came out on Netflix recently. I'm not ashamed to say I've already watched it three times since that happened. So for me, my number one sports movie. I know there'll be people who will be upset that Rocky's not on here and Raging Bull, um, Caddyshack. Some of those I haven't seen. Some of those were kind of before my time. So if you think that they belong on there, let me know. I'll definitely check them out. But uh, those are my 10 favorite sports movies. I'm sure some of you guys had some that you felt were missed, but... That's the fun of these lists is having different opinions. So, uh, With that, we are going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, I do want to go ahead and say just briefly, um, you know, don't want to get into it too personally, but uh, there are some members, uh, some of my family who are, are hurting right now, who are going through, so- going through something really hard, really tragic. Um, and so I'll just, you know, remind everyone out there to, um, you know, cherish your moments with your loved ones, um, hold each other tight. Don't be afraid to tell the people that you love that you love them and uh, appreciate um, you know, every moment that you can with, with those around you because you never know how quickly um, you know, they can be taken away. So 
I hope that you all have a beautiful rest of your week. Uh, back with a new episode. I'm hoping that will either be released on Friday or Saturday. Uh, hoping to have our second guest appearance, so stay tuned for that. Otherwise, like I said, have a great rest of your week. Appreciate those of you who took the time to listen, whether it's the whole show, one segment, 30 seconds, or just the song at the beginning, which some of you can't even listen to if you're listening from Apple or Spotify. But again, your support is always appreciated. Stay safe. Enjoy what I hope is finally warm weather, especially up here in Michigan. And uh, as always, thank you for listening to the Good Guy Podcast.